morning, I would like to open this up in, in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today, God. I thank you for this time that we can be here, Father. God, as, as your church, God, gathering as your people. Father, I pray that uh, this time we would, we would hear you, we would trust in you, God. And God, that we would, we would trust what your word is telling us. Father, and we thank you for it. We thank you that you don't, don't leave us blind in this life. But God, you have given us a guide. You have given us your word. And God, I pray that as your children, we would trust it. We would, we would love it. We would believe it with everything that we are. Father, I thank you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, this morning, and some of you may, may know, um, the last few times I've had the opportunity to preach, we've been mostly in the book of 1 Peter. Uh, we've been going kind of in this series of 1 Peter and looking at it, and if you're back here with us tonight, we'll be in 1 Peter again. So this morning, we're actually going to start, uh, the opportunities I get to be here with you, another a study, I guess you'd say, another series, and this time over the book of, of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, this is a book that a couple of years ago in the youth, we went through this entire book. And if you don't know what we do in the youth, we, that's exactly what we do most of the time. We go verse by verse through God's Word, pulling out the truths and seeing how it applies to us today. And not only is that important in, of course, a youth setting, but that's also extremely important in, in this setting. What is God's Word and what is it telling us as, as His people, as His children? Uh, there's a part in that song that Joanna sang that said, We trust your Word. And, and church, is that not true of why we're here? I pray that that's why you're here is because you want to hear from the Lord this morning. You want to hear what He has to tell you. You know, we, we do... Uh, some, some Bible studies in, in the Poto School, and we go on Thursdays to, to the high school. My lovely wife gets to go, go with me and keep me in line. And we've been going through, that's right, isn't it, honey? Yes. Okay, did I say that right the way you wanted me to? Okay, good. We, we've been going through the book of Acts, and we get to the part in, in Acts where it's talking about the, the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews. They, they have a complaint. Their widows aren't being taken care of and, and taking this to the apostles. And the apostle says, well, it's not right that we give up the preaching and the teaching of God's word to serve tables. And we looked at that and we studied and said, well, it's not wrong to serve these people. And in Scripture, James commands us to, to serve these people. But it becomes wrong when it replaces the importance and the significance of God's Word. It is why I hope and pray you're here this morning. Not for the social aspect, not, not for the wonderful music, but because of what God's Word is going to tell us this morning. And that's what we're going to look at. And so looking at God's Word this morning, if you would look there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting, starting in verse, verse 1. And we're just going to lay a foundational message this morning, study just some of the first things that we see Paul telling us and telling the church at Thessalonica and looking at what was the circumstances of these letters. Because I think we tend to forget that these letters were actual letters. Paul didn't break it up into chapters and verses. Paul, Paul didn't necessarily give them titles. Uh, Paul was writing letters to these churches who were going through different circumstances. And it's important in understanding God's Word what those circumstances were. So look there, if you would, with me in verse 1. Paul begins this somewhat typical greeting of Paul. He begins with his name. He says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what's important about that and something that is different is although it's somewhat typical to Paul, for Paul to greet 
in this way and to say his name, we also see something different. If you would look there, and there's two other names, Silvanus and Timothy. Well, who in the world is Silvanus? Well, Silvanus, that's just another name for Silas. And most of us probably know who Silas, Silas was. Silas went with Paul on a second missionary journey. Uh, I think probably the, the Sunday school story that may be sticking in your mind is Paul and Silas and the Philippian jailer, Acts chapter 17. And, and why is Silas in this situation? Well, because as we're going to see in just a moment, Acts chapter 17, Silas was with Paul. So if you would, turn to Acts chapter 17, and we're going to see two different things here. Why Silas is in this introduction, and also how this church began, how the Thessalonican church started, and what were the circumstances of it. So Acts chapter 17, looking at verse 1. It says, When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Verse 4, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent Women. So this is, this is somewhat typical of what Paul would do in his missionary journeys. He, he would travel to different areas, and, and we can reason and say, because of Romans chapter 15, where Paul says, I'm not going to build on someone else's foundation in sharing the gospel, we can assume that this is the first time the gospel has been presented to this city, Thessalonica. He goes in, he goes to the synagogue, he goes to the Jewish people. We know Paul was a Jew, and he begins to reason from Old Testament scripture preach, teach from the Old Testament why and how we know that Jesus is the Messiah. And this is very common. This is what Paul does. And we see because of his preaching, because of what Paul is doing and sharing the gospel, we see Jews, we see Greeks, we see men and women. They come to know who Jesus is. They come to believe in the gospel message. And this is how the church really starts. The people that Paul is writing to in 1 Thessalonians, this is where it all began. God sending Paul and the gospel message taking effect in their life and then believing and trusting in it. And we see, though, something, something different happens. And we're not going to read all of those scriptures because we don't have time. But what happens in verse 5 is that the other Jews who don't believe, they become envious, they become jealous, they become angry. And so they, they start a mob, which is always the best thing to do when you're angry, right? Has anyone ever tried that? I'm angry, I'm going to start a mob. I've never tried that. I might this next week. But that's what they do. They start a mob. And they, they go and they, they pull this guy Jason out, who's kind of like the host of Paul, and they drag him before the officials, and they cause this huge ruckus because of Paul and because of the gospel. Well, because of this danger, because of what's going on, uh, I believe it's verse 9, we see that they usher Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica and they go to a place called Berea. And so Paul is, is torn away from these very new believers. Pa Paul is there and he preaches the gospel message. They received it, they believed it, but because of the circumstances, Paul could not stay there. I mean, imagine Paul's circumstances. Imagine that you go on a mission trip and because of your teaching the gospel, because of your preaching the gospel, you see people believe it. Man, what's your concern at that point? My concern would be, I want to make sure they're taken care of. I want to make sure these new believers have a pastor or have a church that they can connect with. Or even as we see Paul would do, I'm going to stay there with them a while. 
Well, again, this is a brand new place that the gospel has gone to. Paul couldn't stay. And so Paul is, is torn away from this people that he shared the gospel with, that he so quickly has built this relationship with, and Paul is concerned. Paul and Silas both are concerned. So Paul sends Timothy, and that's why we see Timothy in the introduction in 1 Thessalonians. He sends Timothy to check on this church. And so Timothy goes, he gathers the information, he gets the report, and he comes back to Paul and Paul is writing this letter from Timothy's report. And so this is the start of the Thessalonian church. This is kind of the beginning. So if you would, flip back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're going to stay here the rest of the time. So we know who Timothy is. He was someone who was very close to Paul. He was a young preacher who Paul discipled and ends up writing to him at the end of his life, 2 Timothy. He's someone who becomes very near and dear to him. And Paul uses him to go and to check on this church. And Paul, or Timothy comes back and tells Paul, this is what the church is doing. This is how they're acting. And we'll see that as we go on. And so Paul is writing this letter out of those circumstances. Again, this wasn't in, in a vacuum. This wasn't out of a situation where these weren't real people. These were real people who were going through real circumstances because of where they were and what they were experiencing. So the next thing that we need to do to lay a better foundation is to understand what Thessalonica was like. What were these people like? What was the city like? So to understand the people, we have to understand the city and the culture a little bit better. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a Thessalonica history lesson. Are you ready? Complete silence. Fantastic. I love that. Just like preaching in the youth. Y'all ready to learn? No. No, we're not. Thessalonica it was a large city, about 100,000 people. That's a big city, especially back in biblical times. It was also a harbor city, okay, meaning that ships would come in, they would dock. And because of that, because of it being a harbor city, it also had connection to certain routes, trading routes, commerce. And so Thessalonica kind of became this hub for trading and commerce. It was a large city that also brought the idea of becoming wealthy, gaining in wealth, gaining in business. And so it attracted a lot of different people, a lot of different people who were looking to make a better life for themselves. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important to understand that when you bring a lot of people together in kind of this melting pot of people, it also brings in different beliefs. In the city of Thessalonica, we see Greek and Roman beliefs. We see certain cultic beliefs, even Egyptian beliefs. And also, of course, as we know, a large Jewish population, a large Jewish belief. This brings all kinds of different beliefs into this culture. And this Thessalonican church came out of these beliefs. They came out of all of these different things, all these different people. Some were Jews, some were Gentiles. And they all came under the banner and the gospel of Jesus and believed in him. You know, when I study Thessalonica and I look at it, it really makes me think about our culture. Really, we, we tend to think that because these people were alive around 2,000 years ago, it means that they were much different from us. They really weren't. Or that Thessalonica was much different than the area and the culture that we live in. It really wasn't. Because don't we live in a culture, in an area that draws all kinds of different people in looking for a better life? I mean, we just seen that in the mission video, right? And praise God for that because it's opening up doors for the gospel to be spread. But people come to this country looking and hoping for a better life. And because of that, we see different beliefs come in. What do we believe in our culture? Well, there's, of course, no time to look at it and see all of it. But just to name a few, atheism, relativism, oriental beliefs, different cults, different ideas of Christianity, different ideas of Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, 
That's just to name a few, folks. We live in a culture that, in my opinion, mirrors very closely to what we see in Thessalonica. And because of that, what do we see when we see different beliefs come together? We see confusion. We see a group of people who don't know what to believe. And we live in this, don't we? This is our culture. We don't know what to believe. We have no idea what the truth is most of the time. Man, I see it in our students, and it's awfully concerning because they're the next generation. They have no idea what they believe. They have no idea what to believe. We see complete confusion in all our culture and in Thessalonica. But what's encouraging from that is understanding that this church came out of this culture, and when they heard the message and the truth of Jesus, they denied it. They turned away from it. The Thessalonican church turned away from the world and believed in the gospel of Jesus. And it radically changed their lives. Completely changed who they were. And Paul tells them in verse 9, he says, I'm reminded of how you turned from idols to serve the living and the true God. It wasn't that they took Jesus and added him to their beliefs. They completely denied their beliefs and clung to Jesus. In the middle of this crazy culture that believed all kinds of different things that drew from different people and different backgrounds. So we see that the gospel of Jesus took effect in their lives, and this is what the church came out of. And I tell you all that to try and help us understand a little bit better about what this Thessalonian church was, who they were, what their culture was, and what true belief came out of there. So if you would look there in verse 1 with me to get back to the Scripture, we've laid the foundation. We can move forward in the Scripture and continue on. He says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. This phrase, I want to focus on it just for a moment. This is a phrase that sounds very Paul. Paul used similar phrases like this throughout his letters. And what Paul is really doing is he's addressing the two types of people who made up the church. He's addressing the Gentiles, and he's also addressing the Jews. Well, how do we know that? Well, even though both groups have experienced these great comforts from God, his grace and peace, grace, Paul is speaking specifically to the Gentile believers. Because the Gentiles, they had a very ungodly heritage. They didn't come to the church because they deserved to be in the church. Paul is telling them, you are a part of this because of the grace of God taking effect in your life through Jesus. But then he addresses the Jews. And he tells the Jews, and he says, but understand, Jews, you have peace with God, but not because of the law. Not, not because of, of submitting to the law, but instead because of submitting to Jesus. Scripture tells us that Jesus is our reconciliation. We receive grace from God and peace with God only through Jesus Christ. And Paul, when he says this phrase, understand when you're reading and you're studying at home and you see a phrase similar to this, understand Paul in these, in these two words is saying something extremely weighty and reminding them, you only have these things because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus did for you, because of the sacrifice of Christ, because of the truth of the gospel, you have grace and peace with God the Father. So understanding this, we see this people, we see this church, and we see something in verse 2, if you look there. We begin to see the heart that Paul has for these people. If you look there, verse 2, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. 
If you've ever studied the letters from Paul, you see very, uh, very many emotions from Paul. You see a lot of emotions throughout his writings. You see sadness. You see disappointment. You even see anger. There are letters that you read and you see, man, Paul is upset. He is angry. He is frustrated. But 1 Thessalonians is different. He starts this letter off and he says, we constantly thank God for you. And we're going to see as we go through chapter 1 that this is exactly what is true. That Paul is, there's a certain pride there when he's talking about this church. You look at 1 Corinthians, there's, there's major issues there. You look at Galatians, that's where you see Paul getting upset and getting angry. There were issues that Paul were, was dealing with and writing to. But with 1 Thessalonians, he starts off and his, his demeanor is different. There's a certain happiness, there's a certain pride there. Some people, in, in, in looking at the problems that are in our church to, churches today, looking at the American church, they tend to equate the early church with perfection. That They tend to look at the early church and say, man, we just need to be like the early church. We, we need to get rid of everything that we're doing. We need to just go back to houses and do what they did because they did everything right. You ever read the letters of Paul? You ever read the situations that Paul is dealing with in these letters? You ever read what these early churches were like? Yeah, some of them, absolutely. They were living for Jesus in the hardest situations. But man, some of them, they were missing the mark in some situations. I mean, even Galatians. And why is Paul so angry in Galatians compared to other situations like 1 Corinthians? Well, he's so angry in Galatians because they've taken the gospel and they've changed it. They've changed the truth of Jesus. I mean, things that are so serious as, as sin and lifestyles of sin, even to the point of, of changing God's word. There were issues, there were problems. Although the church at Thessalonica still had issues, we see a thankfulness from Paul that is almost exclusive to this individual church. It's different. There's a difference here. And so this morning, I want to find out and look and say, well, what was different about this church? What, what set it apart from all the others and all the different letters and all the other issues that we see with these churches? Well, what we're going to see and we're going to talk about just this morning, we're going to pull out three initial principles that Paul says that he is thankful for. So if you look there in verse 3, he tells us what those three principles are. Verse 3, he says, Remembering before our God and Father. So remember, he's thankful for them, constantly mentioning them in prayer. Verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the three, work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says initially, this is why we're, we're thankful. This is why we never stop praying for you, because we've seen and witnessed these three things in your life as Christians and in your life as a church. So let's, let's look at them. What do you guys say? Amen. I got one. That's all I need. Let's look. First one, work of faith. What is Paul talking about? Why is he thankful for this? Well, Paul is speaking of the life that followed after their faith. I want to point something out here that's extremely important. Understand the wording here. And this may get a little wordy, but just hang with me. Listen. Understanding the wording here. This was not working for faith. But he says, I'm thankful for your work of faith. Did you catch that? Did you catch the importance of that? To quote many great preachers such as Adrian Rogers, we do not work for our salvation, we work from our salvation. And this is what Paul says I'm thankful for. And, and, and him saying this, even just these three 
these three short words, this phrase, this reminds us of this great foundational truth of our faith. Salvation produces work, not the other way around. I'm not up here preaching, hoping that I can earn my way into heaven. That's not why I'm here. If you are here saying, well, I'm here at church and I'm attending, hoping that my works can get me into God's heaven, you've missed the whole point. You've you've missed it all. You've missed the entire truth of the gospel because the gospel starts out, although the gospel and the word gospel means good news, the gospel starts out with really bad news. That really bad news is you're lost, you're on your way to hell, and you can't do a thing about it. (laughs) You can't earn your way into God's heaven. But because of your salvation, it produces a life devoted to Jesus. We see this in other places of Scripture. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 14. James is dealing with a group of people who claim to have faith, but they didn't have a life that displayed it. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. True faith is always followed up by action. True faith is always followed up by obedience. We want to see Paul illustrate Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, first two verses, he tells us about salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. He reiterates, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You can't brag about your salvation because you didn't earn it, right? You can't brag about something that's been done that you didn't have anything to do with. You can't do it. It's not a result of works, so that you may not boast. Verse 10, though, he says, but... We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship, it means craftsmanship or masterpiece, as some translations translate it. This is telling us that in salvation, God has changed us. We see the 2 Corinthians chapter, two, or chapter 5, verse 17. If he was in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, the new, new have come. Paul tells us we've been changed because of salvation. Because of that, we are going to live for Jesus. Look at that word with me, the word work. The wording here, it implies employment that comes out of our faith. The word literally means to to work for a business or be employed by a business. That when someone who has saving faith in Jesus, when you trust in Jesus and you have saving faith in Jesus, your faith literally puts you to work. Right? You shouldn't be serving your church because the pastor makes you feel guilty. That's, that's not the picture we see in Scripture. Well, I need to do this because Brother Jim's mean. That's not why we do this. We work because we have a faith in Jesus that puts us to work. Do we understand that? I hope we do. To illustrate a little bit better, I, I, uh, growing up, I had both both. Uh, grandmothers, my, my mom's mother and my, my dad's mother. I didn't, didn't know my grandfather's, but both of them, just wonderful examples of hardworking women. Uh, but, but I was thinking about this and, and wanting to illustrate this a little bit better. My, my dad's mom, who is still alive, she's 92 years old. She's going to outlive me. She's crazy tough. <clears throat> my, my dad's mom, she's worked hard her entire life, born in the 30s, li- lived through all of those times, always always worked hard, and always instilled in us, her grandkids, always instilled in us this sense of work. 
Uh, I remember it two years, I don't remember it two years old. I remember seeing video of me being two years old, her having us in, in her garden picking taters, potatoes, otherwise. We, we were always doing something, always picking potatoes, always working in the garden. When we grew up a little bit, they had a family flea market, and she, she taught us how to work with people. She taught us how to count change back. That's a lost art nowadays, isn't it? Good grief. She taught us all these different things. Let me ask you, did she, did she put us to work to try and make me her grandson? No. She's insane at that point, right? That, that's not why you do that, right? She put me to work because I was her grandson. Do you see that? She put me to work because I was that relationship to her. And understand something, our faith puts us to work, not to earn it, but because we already have it. Okay, Paul says, first of all, I'm thankful for your work of faith, and second of all, I'm thankful for your labor of love. This is the second principle that Paul is thankful for, and it's their labor of love. Now, this word labor, let's not think that it's the exact same word as work that we just seen a second ago. It's different from that word work. The word work, it implies, of course, employment, but this word labor, it implies difficult labor. It implies a task that brings some sort of pain or difficulty. Now, of course, we understand, no matter what your job is, that all work can be painful or difficult, but some work is always painful and always difficult. Okay, Just from a physical standpoint, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but a desk job, physical labor, okay, not that much physical labor, maybe more of the stress, the emotional labor, right? A desk job compared to a hard construction job. Which one works harder from a, a painful standpoint, a, a physical painful standpoint? Always the construction, right? Even look at thinking in my own life. I, I worked at Price Cutter. I was a butcher. I was there early morning hours. I was always doing things, always, always working, always lifting heavy boxes. And now compared to ministry. Ministry, it's a different kind of difficult, right? I don't have the same type of labor, difficult labor. It's a different kind of thing. And this is what Paul is saying the type of work is that he is thankful for. So what was their difficult task that they were doing that Paul was thankful for to see in their life as people and as a church? Their love. We see that. Their love for him, for each other, and for the Lord. And, and understand, this type of love that we're talking about, this is not a feeling, emotional kind of love that changes. The word here is agape. We so often, we've heard of this word, we understand the truth behind this word, but this is a self-sacrificing kind of love that is based on God's word and not human emotion. That's so important, church. It's a love that's not based on me, it's a love that's based on God's word and what he commands me to. Because church, I'll tell you, I can't trust Damon. Do you hear me? I, I can't trust my emotions and my feelings. I, I deceive myself, you deceive yourself. I have this old man, this old flesh to fight against that was working against me. I have to set it on something higher. I have to place it on God's word, not my own human emotion. Just like marriage. Just like the parent-child relationship. Good grief. How often did I make my parents mad growing up? A bunch. A lot. If that relationship was based on their emotions towards me, they wouldn't have stayed my parents, right? We understand this, but this is the kind of love that Paul says, I see in your life and I'm thankful for it. This is the kind of love that a church should have for one another. And that being said, to love like this brings pain. 
To love like this brings pain. Just very simply, it's self-sacrificing, right? To love in this kind of relationship means that you're putting others' needs, others' desires, others' wants above your own, and you're, you're laying aside your own. You're saying, I'm going to serve someone to the point that it's even painful. C.S. Lewis, I think, said it best. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Making ourselves vulnerable, opening ourselves up to being, being in pain because of the love that we're loving one another with, Despite the pain that comes with a self-sacrificing kind of love, this church at Thessalonica continued loving one another. Paul says, I'm thankful because I see it. I see it. Remember, Paul, he, wasn't, he hadn't been there. He sent Timothy. Timothy came back. Timothy gave him the report. Paul says, oh, we've, we've seen it. And we'll see later on as we study in, in chapter 1, their faith, their, their life of, of living faithfully, it didn't just stay in Thessalonica, it, it spread out. The word spread the kind of church that they were being and the kind of church that they were living like. We see this command to love one another in other places of Scripture. John chapter 13, verse 34 says, And now I give you a new commandment, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one one another. To love one another was not a new commandment. What made this a new commandment was the fact that Jesus was saying, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus died for us on the cross. He self-sacrificially gave himself for us. Jesus said that kind of love, the picture of that kind of love, love one another in that way. Love one another in that way. First John chapter 3, verse 18, same author, says, my children, our love should not be just words and talk it must be true love which shows itself in action. Paul says, I'm thankful because I see your work of faith. I see your labor of love. And thirdly, he says, I'm thankful for you because I see your steadfastness of hope in Jesus. Last point here, if you look there with me, steadfastness of hope in Jesus. We see this. The word steadfastness is a very interesting word. This word means to be patient, but not the way we tend to think about patience. Sometimes... We're forced in situations where we don't want to be patient, but we have to be. Anyone ever been in a traffic jam? Been in a traffic jam? Anyone? No? Just me? Last year, Dev and I, we went to a, a hockey game in Dallas. It was fantastic. First 30 seconds of the match, a fight broke out. It was wonderful. But we went down to Dallas, and I'd never personally driven in Dallas. I'd been there, but never personally driven in Dallas. Man, it is everything that everyone has ever told me about it. It is, it is awful. And, and you're in that situation of driving, and you don't want to be patient, but man, what are you going to do? You're stuck. You have to be patient, no matter if you want to be or not. This is not the kind of patience that Paul is speaking of. This is a different type. This word, I love the meaning of this word. This word means a cheerful endurance. Cheerful endurance. Cheerfully enduring. This word also means a patient continuance. Paul says, I see a steadfastness in you. It's cheerfully enduring. You're patiently continuing in your faith. And what were they steadfast in? What were they cheerfully enduring in? Their hope in Jesus. Their hope in Jesus. To hope in Scripture means something more than what we tend to think about. It means to anticipate or expect with confidence. This church, although they were young, Although they did not have Paul there helping them, discipling them, they continued in steadfastness in their hope of Jesus. They were expecting him to return. And personally, in my opinion, I think this third point ties the other two together. 
because they continued in their hope of Jesus and longing for him and expecting him, they continued in their work of faith and their labor of love. This church was patient in their work, painfully laboring in love and their suffering because they had a continuing hope in Jesus and the promises he had made. Church, that radically changes our thoughts of what it means to live a Christian life. Because so often, so often we are dragged down by this life, we are dragged down by the things in this life. What, what lifts us up above that? What lifts us up, up, up above that to live the life that God has called us to? I believe that, it's, that we are steadfast in our hope of Jesus. Every day longing and expecting Him to return for us. Because church, I'll tell you, the Savior that forgave you is the one who's going to return for you. And this church, it completely changed their life and changed who they were, and they lived like it. So church, I think as we see and we wrap up this morning and understand, very simply, there is no application. The application is the word. Amen? There, there's, no, there's no other way to conclude by saying this is what Paul's seen at this church in Thessalonica. And the question for us as a church at Southside is to ask, is that something we see in our church? Do we see our work of faith? Can people look from the outside looking in and say, I see their work of faith. I see their labor of love. I see their steadfastness of hope in Jesus, that he's coming back for them. Can people on the outside look in and see that? That's the question. And church, just very simply, practically, how do we change that? And if there is something we're failing at, if there is something that we need to change, how do we change that? How do we start to become this, this kind of unified church that we see in Acts chapter 4 that said they had all things in common because of Jesus. How do we begin to change that? Individually, we have to change that. If every single one of us lived like Jesus calls us to and lived like Jesus was coming back for us, we would start to see a church who lived in that way. So I want to pray for us this morning. Thank you so much for being here. And I would like to pray for us and we'll have a time of invitation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, God. Thank you for everything that you've given to us, Father. This, this godly example of, of this church at Thessalonica, God, that, that we see it, we, we read it, and God, I pray that you would convict hearts as you see fit this morning. God, is, if there's anyone here who needs to make a profession of faith, who needs to trust in Jesus, God, this is, this is where they need to do it. Father, I pray that you'd be with us as a church, that you would help us, you would grow us. God, that we would be an example to those on the outside. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.